other day, I said out loud to my children and sister, I haven't had a zit in five months. And I hadn't since uh-huh. we got back from like Punta Cana. Uh-huh. Needless to say, I didn't <laughs> knock on wood. And now I am just like breaking out like a crazy person. That was me last week. I didn't know what was going on. I looked at my, fa- my face in the mirror and I was like, whoa. <laughs> I was like, when did all of that happen? Like, that's upsetting. I, I was like, I couldn't, I can't even handle like feeling my face right now. I was like, this is ridiculous. Well, and that's like the hard thing too, when like it gets to the point where it's like, because like I always have some acne yeah. and then sometimes I, it's, it's like worse than others. And I don't realize until I'm like, my face hurts. And I'm like, oh, it's because I'm like, because it's like at this point, it's like, I'm like almost blinded. I'm like, whatever. Like, it's going to be there. Like, I don't think I've ever had one period where my face was completely clear. Right. You know? And, but yeah, it's just, um, maybe it's the season. Cause we've been having a really big weather variation. We got into fall gorgeous. And then we had a heat wave this week. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's like seasonal. Mm hmm hormonal uh-huh. and stress the trifecta. are all <laughs> with these powers combined. The triangle of acne. <laughs> Good thing I'm not like eating spoonfuls of peanut butter with uh, the oil, but uh-huh. I could be. I could really ramp it up. Yeah. I could help you could just do it all. I could. Make it a cube. <laughs> they or, say women you know. can't have everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you haven't talked to my dermatologist. <laughs> um, but we're not here to talk about acne. No. We're here to talk about herstory. On the rise. With Katie and Allie. This is a podcast where we talk about famous women in history. We talk about good women and bad women and fictional women and non-fictional women from all times and places because women have nuance. But keep in mind, we are drinking the entire time. And we are not historians. But thank you to everybody who thinks we are. (laughs) Thank you for joining our Patreon. Mm -hmm. I've got buttons I'm sending out soon. Buttons. Handmade. Um, my newest sister-in-law joined Patreon. So Jack, welcome. Welcome, Jack. Thank you for joining us. Appreciate that. <laughs> um, yeah, that leaves all of my, all, all, one person from all of my sibling groups is on my Patreon. I don't think one person from, I think we have like Aunt Nates and that's it I on think the Patreon. Producer like funds our drinking though. Oh yeah, <laughs> but that's like on a different level. Yeah, he's, he's like an angel investor. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's what we're doing here tonight. We're, it's it's going to be a good time. And yeah, if you want to hang out with us more, join us on Patreon. We'll plug it again at the end. But it guys, gets, it really is a good time. It's real personal. We, we have uh, extra decide. conversations. And it has nothing to do with women. It's nope. like our personal lives and like really very, very big problems. <laughs> uh, anyways, but <laughs> before we're we get historians. into that, we're not historians. We're drinking and you're busy. So busy. Uh, you are doing all of your fall yard work right now. Yuck. You're raking leaves. You're putting them into bags. You're painting pumpkin faces on them you know you're doing the most uh so you're doing that you have the gloves on you can't then use your phone because you got gardening gloves right on. you have to take one off then you get Ugh. poison ivy it's a whole thing terrible so we don't want you to get poison ivy never or anything else so what we're going to do is we're going to describe these ladies for you so you can get a picture in your head without having to google them while we tell you their story we're going to get a little physical physical Allie. Who are you doing and what does she look like? I am doing Rose O'Neill Greenhow, and she is a Southern Belle of the <laughs> highest order. She wore a lot of hoop skirts and frills. Uh, most of the pictures of her are in like black or dark colors because I think 
the pictures are from like after she was widowed mm. she was widowed kind of early-ish in life mm -hmm. her hair is in a low bun parted in the middle dark hair oval face um otherwise she's kind of plain mm -hmm. and has like these sunken eyes but apparently in life people described her as like a wild rose a little because she had this olivish skin with uh -huh. a pinkish tint oh okay so hmm. rose o'neill green how okay plain and southern bell <laughs> uh i am doing leslie sue goldstein aka leslie gore and she was known as kind of like a cute clean teen uh she wore of like a, a it's funny because she was a teenage star but she chose to wear a lot of business suits. Robin Sparkle? Uh, <laughs> which is really funny. Like, they're like, she's 17. Why is she in a suit? Uh, but she liked the suit. She had an oval face, uh, kind of small eyes. But uh, she had this kind of, like, very classic 60s hairdo where it just, like, went whoop. Love like, it. Like, as if it was drawn in, like, a cartoon. <laughs> like uh, the Jetsons mom? Yes. Whoop. Just, like, very, like, whoop. Um, but yeah, but she had like kind of like sandy blonde hair that was always to the um, like kind of like to like the chin shoulder length, like never super long. Um, sometimes she would get it really made up with a beehive, but typically it was just like the little bob. That's fancy. <laughs> I can't picture her with a beehive actually because no. I do know what she looks like actually. Yes. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, but that's Leslie Gore in her little suit singing her heart out on the Ed Sullivan show. What are we drinking? Okay, so this is called It's My Cocktail and I'll Drink If I Want To. Perfect. <laughs> so I obviously modeled this cocktail after Party Punch. It is vodka, fruit punch, lime juice, and then you shake that all up, pour it over rainbow sherbet, and you top it with ginger ale. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. I love a sherbet. Mm. It's like church punch. Mm -hmm. I love it. I know that I've done variations on church punch. Mm -hmm. So I hope I haven't done this particular one. We probably have. Who cares? Who cares? Nobody's following um, along really except for Miss Krista. But yeah, but it is funny because I was looking for fruit punch in the Target today. And I was like, wow, my only options are like five gallons of Hawaiian punch or like these little this like four pack of something i was like i guess i'll get this but it's like a natural kind so it didn't come out as like red as i wanted oh, that's okay but that's okay it's a cute like orangey color hey i like this natural punch mm -hmm. this is fine mm. so what do you know about leslie gore uh the only fact that i knew you already gave away is she's the performer of a very famous song yeah like the most teenage drama song i've ever heard in my entire life yep. and i love it <laughs> it's such a good song and i think it is still pop culture relevant oh it totally I is i think i don't know about the zers but I also i think it's just teen girl relevant it i think it's teenager relevant i think it's that feeling of like it's my party and like no like as nothing's a going approaching as a my birthday it's like you're like my party is not going as planned and right. I'm pissed about it exactly. and I'm going to fucking cry about it. And like, exactly. I don't, I will get into this song obviously, but I actually think it is a very powerful like anthem about a girl's right to cry. And I fucking love that. And like as a crier, the right to like for I teenagers love to have emotions. Yes. You're at the most emotionally driven time in your life. Like, yeah. are you kidding? Be emotional. Yeah. You're like, Judy's coming in. 
She's wearing his fucking ring. I can't believe it. my friend at my party. At my party, I just bitch. <laughs> what a bitch! Like when people talk about students that I teach, I'm like, God, she's such a drama queen. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, she is. That's the biggest thing that's ever happened in her goddamn life. Of course she's a drama queen. She's only been here 14 years. Of course. <laughs> this is her first rodeo. <laughs> so anyways, yes. Uh, so I got most of this from, uh, it was like a screen rant video with like, you know, facts about Leslie Gore, uh, Wikipedia, obviously. And then there was a great biography feature on YouTube that really got into her career. But oddly enough, didn't. Not oddly enough, I know exactly why. Didn't get into, like, the biggest part about her life, which we'll get into. Okay, um, I mean, all I know about her is that one song. Okay, perfect. So, Leslie Sue Goldstein was born on May 12th, 1946, into a middle-class Jewish family in Brooklyn. Her father was Leo Goldstein, and her mother was Ronnie Gore. Apparently, her parents changed her last name to Gore her mother's maiden name after she was born which is a really interesting choice like the record company did not pick leslie gore <laughs> her parents changed her name well but her parents kept their names yeah and they stayed married yeah so they just didn't want her to come off as jewish i don't know i have no i like maybe that was it they really didn't get into it but yeah if she on her birth certificate it says goldstein but then it, after she was born, they changed it to Gore. Interesting. So I don't know why, because I think her brother... No, her brother's last name is Gore, too. Well, if she was born in 46, she's also born right after World War II. And think right. about the, like, you know, the discrimination and the displaced yeah. people all over the world. Yeah. Like, it could have just been easier to ditch a Jewish-sounding last yeah. name, unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, I don't... I don't know. Look Very at me interesting, being a <laughs> Um, so Leo owned an underwear swimwear manufacturing company called Peter Pan and Ronnie Ooh. was a hat model before settling down to have kids. What kind of hats? Uh, just department store. She Love would it. be in the Macy's wearing the hats. Bucket hat. Just like in like, <laughs> I'm imagining like the hats that like Dion wears in Clueless. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. 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 But it's probably more like Midge Maisel hats. <laughs> um, and apparently, from a very young age, Leslie was very interested in music. She was always singing around the house, and her mother said that as early as six months old, she would just be humming in her crib. Like, she just had a natural ear for it. That's funny. Your mom said Zach would do that. Yeah. He, he would, would, like, sing to himself. He would entertain himself. Yeah. yeah. She was like, I'd never met a baby like that. That just, like, didn't <laughs> They also didn't have baby monitors. Me. Yeah. <laughs> Zach's like, crying maybe, for help. And maybe we have he no was idea. like, I, I have to overcome. This yeah. is fight or flight. And I can't run. So, <laughs> I must fight. Some nights I pray. <laughs> Zach Zach's alone like, in his crib. It's my body. <laughs> Anyways. And by the time she was three years old, she had every record in the house memorized. Fun. And I mean, like, she could not only sing every song, but she'd be like, that green label with a little man on it, like, that's this album. She couldn't read, but she knew exactly what each album was. Cool. All she, of the records She knew in the what house. she wanted. <laughs> yeah. And when her brother Michael came along, 
The family moved to Tenafly, New Jersey, a quaint little suburb right outside of Manhattan. Uh, but Leslie's parents still took the kids into the city, like, frequently to see shows. They even saw Ella Fitzgerald perform at a club. Sure they did. Sure they did. Her brother Michael said that their mother snuck them in under her mink coat because kids were not supposed to be in the club after midnight. <laughs> privileged sentence i want to be snuck into a club under a mink coat i've been dreaming of it (laughs) last night that was exactly what i was thinking when's my turn when is it my turn (laughs) and lucky enough for leslie michael turned out to be a natural piano player so she felt like she had a built-in accompanist oh my gosh i love good siblings Mm -hmm. and the two could be the entertainment for their parents dinner party this is like white stripes but opposite And after seeing My Fair Lady on Broadway and then asking her parents to see it a dozen more times, Leslie was officially hooked on the idea of being a professional singer. It was one of those things where she knew she loved music, she knew she loved to sing, but then she saw Broadway and she was like, oh, that's what I want to do. people do that. Uh Uh-huh. Fun. So she convinced her parents to send her to the Dwight School for Girls in nearby Englewood because they had a great classical musical program. Classical music program. (laughs) Jesus. And then when she was 15, she went on the hunt for a vocal coach in New York City. Now, this is getting to be a bit much for her parents. Her mother, understandably, was like, I am so busy running the household, carpooling you kids everywhere you need to go, throwing your dad dinner parties. She was like, I cannot go back and forth to Manhattan like this. But the vocal coach that Leslie found believed in her so much. She goes, I'll pick her up and drive her back and forth. This is a real Misty Copeland situation. Uh-huh. uh-huh. So she's going back and forth from Jersey, and she and this coach start recording some demos. And it just so happened that, like, he knew a guy who knew a guy who knew a guy, and, like, they kept passing the t- her tapes around. And the tape eventually, just by people kind of throwing it around the place, it made its way into the hands of a music producer named Quincy Jones. Well, well. It- <laughs> and he loved it. Good. He was like, this little girl's got it. I love her. She does have a very, like, interesting voice. Yes, and it's that's deep, what he said. It's mm-hmm. soulful, but it's also, like, young. Mm-hmm. It's very, I, I don't know, I very much like it. When I was younger, I didn't know whether or not a, an adult performed that song. Mm-hmm. Like, I thought maybe it's, like, the kind of thing where you've got the adult being the child on a cartoon. Yeah. But that was exactly what he said. He was like, this is a very unique voice that, like, when people hear it, they're going to be like, I like that. You know, like, I know who that is. Um, So he asked to meet her. And that was that. They got along so well. I think she sounds like Colby Calais. Oh, I could see that. Mm -hmm. Different vibe of music, but similar (laughs) style of voice. Uh, But he said, I love your voice, and I'm going to go out, and I'm going to find some songs for you. And two weeks later, he showed up at her house in Jersey. Sure he did. In a limo with 200 songs he had picked out for her. It's Okay, (laughs) you're not Taylor. (laughs) Calm down. It's My Party was the very first one, and she was like, that one sounds pretty good. She was like, let's put that one in the maybe pile. (laughs) Then they went through the rest of the 200, and It's My Party stood alone. There was not one other song that she liked more. So they're like, all right, let's get in the recording studio. (laughs) To which her mother, Ronnie, said, they took a child away from us and put her in a booth. (laughs) Well. I love this woman. What a good definition of what Um, happened. But then she was like, but she's like, I was amazed. She was like, she's in this booth 
Quincy Jones is telling her directions like, ah, oh, take it once more from the top and then let's go to the middle, which like, you know, obviously the top means the top of beginning of the song. Yeah. But like, she was like, I didn't know what he was saying. And Leslie knew exactly what he was saying and like what she needed to do. She was like, I was so impressed. And she was like, I couldn't believe that my daughter, she's like, I thought I knew her. And then here she is in this professional recording studio, totally comfortable. <laughs> it's like one of those weird parental moments where you're like, oh, they've been doing something else. Yeah. This whole time. <laughs> I, I thought she was like going to like little league. Meanwhile, you're like trying out for the uh, national football. Yeah. league. <laughs> so they get the song recorded. Quincy's feeling really good about it. He's literally leaving that recording session that night. He goes to an event. He runs into HOTR alum psychopaths, Phil Spector. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. He can't get over himself. <sighs> no, he cannot. Uh, who was excited because Quince, he goes, Quincy. I Quince. Just... He probably said Quince. <laughs> Quince. <laughs> <laughs> like the fruit. He goes, I just recorded a song with the crystals. And he goes, I think it's going to be a big hit. It's called It's My Party. So oh. he had recorded this song no. with a girl group. Quincy said, hmm, interesting. I got to go. And he leaves, goes back, presses 100 copies of the song, like overnights it to 100 different radio stations. <laughs> what a great So that her time. version comes out first. So smart. <laughs> it so came good. out within a week of her recording it <gasps> on the radio stations. Leslie was like, I was just in my car and my voice is playing over the radio because she was like, she goes, I didn't know that he did that. Yeah. So it's like, she was like, I think it's me. Is it me? I hope so. This is great. <laughs> I, uh, I hear that it's a real surreal moment when you hear yourself in why in the wild for the first time when you're like, whoa, imagine. I'm like, that's me. Hmm. Crazy. So he sends it out. It kind of comes out and he goes, Leslie, I got to go to Japan really quick. He goes, but just for like know. a second, <laughs> he goes, I'll be back. He goes, pick a new name because we got to get rid of Leslie Gore. He goes, that's a terrible name. <laughs> he goes, we got to pick out a new name for you. I'll be back from Japan in a couple of weeks. Let me know what you decide. Oh my God. Don't tell Al. <laughs> He'll be so, so upset. <laughs> he comes back and he goes, Hey, did you pick out a new name? And she was like, it's a little too late. The song is number one. <laughs> Ooh, shoot. <laughs> You back. So just weeks after her 17th birthday, Leslie is officially a professional singer with a number one hit song on the radio. <laughs> I mean, what else do you do when you're 17? I know. What else is there? It's do? her hit song and she'll cry <laughs> if she wants to. So they soon did Judy's Turn to Cry, a sequel song, which also became a hit. And in the fall of 63, she had another number one hit with Maybe I Know. And this is really interesting because I didn't quite realize this. Leslie stood out as a solo female singer among a sea of girl groups. And she was soon dubbed the princess of song because, of course, we had big jazz names like Ella Fitzgerald and Lena Horne and, you know, Billie Holiday. But she was the only pop singer, pop solo female singer because all the rest of them were in girl groups they're like trios there's a lot of trios in this era exactly so i heard on the documentary that she is actually then <laughs> it makes her the like she's the fe female pop soloist 
who still had like the most number one songs in the 60s hmm. because she was like one of very few right there's not a lot of them <laughs> yeah so that's why she's the princess of song and now she's touring and performing live on stage and she's like wow this is a little bit different than going into the recording studio and she was soon dealing with stage fright she would throw up before every performance girl but that's gonna ruin your teeth i know and then she had to take it one step further and perform live on the ed sullivan show ed but she did so well that he even invited her over to the couch when she was done which in late night speak that's like a huge deal happened to ellen launched her career she was like the first woman he ever invited her first Mm -hmm. woman female comedian i should say Mm -hmm. i don't know i think she might have been the first woman ever to be invited on the couch like of anybody that's really depressing yeah i don't want that to be the case because no. <laughs> that was like the 90s it was like 30 years ago that's upsetting i think that would have been the 80s really oh yeah, yeah. she had her sitcom hair style and her she had hair a was sitcom not- in the 90s and yes. then her talk show came out in like early 2000s so this is stand-up ellen yes the 80s stand-up ellen right anyways stand-up era anyways we already did that episode we're not talking about her <laughs> you're um, over even though she will come back later <laughs> um in this episode yeah, because Leslie goes on her talk show. Weird, <laughs> weird, weird. Super okay. Weird. Okay. So Leslie is getting over her stage fright, but there was another aspect of her career that she wasn't expecting. So her songs about jilted teenage girls really hit a chord with young girls around the country. And she started getting all of these letters from these young girls about their heartache. And this really started to affect her and the way that she thought about just like what she was singing she was like oh my gosh she was like they're connecting with this because again like we said at the top of the show their feelings matter and like they are going through something and it's serious to them and she was like wow okay like maybe like my music is touching people and if it's just a bubblegum pop song so she felt like she had a real responsibility to the young women out there so she wanted more of a say in the songs that she was performing but it was really difficult for anyone at that time, let alone a teenage girl. Sure. And Leslie was finding it difficult to stand up for herself while remaining professional and agreeable. Because she was like, well, I don't want to be seen as like the bitchy teenage girl. But she was like, I also want to be taken seriously and have my voice heard. Um, and the first time she really took a stand for herself was in the fall of 1964. She came across a song that said everything she wanted to say. It was called You Don't Own Me, and she demanded to record it. Oh, my God. Is it Tay-Tay? <laughs> Calm down. It was time for Leslie to stop crying at the party and tell people, don't tell me what to say. Don't tell me what to do. Because you, you know the song I'm talking about, right? Mm-hmm. It's so good. And this was a really good move on her part because this also became one of her biggest hits because again she's like well i'm growing up the people listening to my music are growing up a little bit and yeah they're like i am a little bit older don't fucking tell me what to do like (laughs) so she has this other big hit and now she's 18 and there is another big decision looming is she going to go to college she had promised her parents that she would get her college degree And she had also kind of promised herself. She was like, I'm not going to let my music career stop me from going to college. She was like, I want that experience. I want to go. I don't want to feel like I'm living half a life. She was like, I want to live my full life. 
So what an Ashley Olsen. <laughs> I know. Um, so she put her career on hold to attend Sarah Lawrence studying English and American literature. <laughs> Can you believe that? She had to Sarah Lawrence. Shut That's up. That's so cool. That is so cool. I am so jealous that I was not smart enough to do anything <laughs> awesome with my life. <laughs> How cool would it be to say you went somewhere like Sarah Lawrence? It'd be really Like cool. you walked in the footsteps of the like female <sighs> goddesses. I know. It's I think so the upsetting. seven sisters would be like so fucking cool to go to. Yeah. Ugh. Things to think about. Things I wish people would have told me. <laughs> yeah, when, when I was younger. When I was young and being tricked into <laughs> religious non-freedom. So for a little while, uh, she was doing both. She would work during her school holidays. So like during Christmas break, she'd like go on the Ed Sullivan show and like sure. perform in clubs. <laughs> it was tough, but she enjoyed the rush of it. But it was also a weird experience because during this time, we're in like the mid-60s. College campuses, especially liberal ones like Sarah Lawrence, were in the midst of kind of radical changes. Folk music was in, and pop music was seen as very uncool. Oh, poor. <laughs> she said, Les. had I been tall with blonde hair, had I been a Mary Travers, I would have gotten along fine. <laughs> I had to look up who Mary Travers was. Uh, but yeah, she was just like a folk singer with like long blonde mm. hair kind of reminded me of the like a Joni Mitchell type okay mm -hmm. um but yeah but I didn't really think about that that like she says teen pop it'd be like if Justin Bieber went to Harvard and then he's there <laughs> and like, they're like Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> I love that I love that idea that's the equivalent <laughs> this is perfect for me um but, you know, I think college was really good for Leslie because there were more serious things going on in the world. And she didn't want to she wasn't ignoring the realities of the turbulent 60s. So she was like, I think I need to be a little bit more politically active. So she signed up to help Robert Kennedy in his presidential campaign, volunteering and performing at events. Uh, but it wasn't all political. In 1965, she decided to expand her career into film. <laughs> she did a fun you a few fun romps like the girls on the beach and ski trip they're like the classic 60s movie teen beach movies Got it. um and she sang her next hit single for one of these movies sunshine and lollipops <laughs> wow i also love that song i don't think i knew all those songs were by the same no, person i didn't either okay. i couldn't believe that yeah i didn't know i only knew her as the it's my party so i had no idea that she sang i assumed these other couple that songs. song was a one-hit wonder yeah i did too mm -hmm. okay. yep. Good. um and then she made a few appearances on the batman tv show <laughs> great again all while balancing school and a stalker <gasps> there is no! a man who was obsessed with her Good. who kept sending her threatening messages and letters including one where he was like i'm on my way to sarah lawrence <laughs> no and he wasn't bluffing he really did show up one day i hate that mm -hmm. so he's on campus he started to get angry when he couldn't find her so he went to the school cafeteria and started throwing tables and chairs just really doing the most because he's so pissed that he can't find her. I mean, it's a fairly large college campus. Yeah, college campuses are big. Okay. Like, and obviously, yeah. if she's in her dorm room, you're not going to find her, buddy. So sure. the school, of course, called the police, and he was thankfully arrested, and she went back to classes, and that was that. Everything was fine. Hmm. Okay. Well, I mean, you know what? They did their due. Yeah. 
They did what they needed to do. <laughs> so she ends up graduating in 1968. And again, like she's leaving school to a very different world than the bubblegum pop one that she went in with. Mm-hmm. You need a new vibe, princess. Yeah. The Vietnam War is ramping up. Martin Luther King and Robert Kennedy were assassinated. And like she's like, that's a guy that I worked with. She's like, I, I knew him. I performed at his fundraising events. Like this is like now hitting like she's like, oh, my gosh, Too close to him. this is close. And also, like, music was different. Again, pop was out. Rock and roll is what is on the pop charts now. Right. And people were more interested in radical protest songs and Janis Joplin than Sunshine and Lollipops, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, they're like, we're not into that anymore. Genre shift, girl. Genre shift. So, literally, she's, like, just as she's getting her degree, her world is kind of turned upside down, and she is dropped by her recording label. Yeah. Her sound just wasn't in anymore. So, she's at a crossroads, and she thinks... Well, I could get my master's. I could become a lawyer or something else. She's like, I know I'm smart. I know now I have this degree, so I have options. But she's like, music is my passion, and I want to stay in the industry. But maybe I need to rethink my role. So she started studying music and composing, and she started writing her own songs. Because all these were just like, you know, ones that were written, and the label buys them and gives them to their pops little girls, girls, you know? Yeah. She said a lot of the early ones were really bad, but (laughs) I just kept at it. And by the end of 1975, she had a whole album full of songs and she brought them all to her old pal, Quincy Jones. Uh, They released her album. It was a critical success, but the general public just didn't want to hear new Leslie Gore songs. If she was going to be around, they wanted her to sing her teen pop songs, her her hits. So she was a little disappointed. Uh, the 70s all around were a bad decade for Leslie. Uh, but 1980 was good because her and her brother were tapped to compose the music for a new film called Fame. No, fun. <laughs> That's cool. She wrote the song Out Here on My Own, which was nominated for an Oscar. But her brother was also up for writing the theme song which we all know and of course he won (laughs) she was happy for her brother but of course a little disappointed and then to make matters worse it's like she's like okay i didn't get the oscar and not all of my songs are selling super great and she is kind of losing money because the record company owned the rights to all of her early hits so it's very important to note that she was not making money off of any of her early songs yikes can you imagine I mean, writing those hits and not getting any money for that's them? That's upsetting. Not writing them. But performing. But performing performing those hits. Yeah, I mean, that's like the, the reason the music industry is being toppled right now because people are fighting back against shit like that. Yeah, because it's fucked up. Yeah. It's really fucked up. I'm not saying they should make nothing, but like, Leslie's <laughs> like getting on to like her years and she's like, I'm almost middle age. She's like, I... Need some money. Like, yeah. I was, I had well, the number like, one songs on the radio and I don't see anything from it. Yeah. She was like, I don't want to say like just a performer as an insult, but it's like, there's the person who wrote the music, the person who recorded it, the person who performed it and the person who plays the music. You need to get something, even mm-hmm. if it's just 10% as a performer. Yeah. Like they're like, I think everybody assumes that everybody that's ever been on the radio or been in a movie is like a multimillionaire yeah. mm-hmm. and it's just not the case. That's just not true. Um, I actually saw a really funny clip recently about an episode of Cribs where they went to like a music producer's house or whatever. He was like some guy who was like 
working with a lot of like really big name acts. And oh, it was like, like a split level. I saw that one. Oh <laughs> my gosh. They're like, he must be loaded. He goes, I wasn't. He goes, my apartment was trash. He was like, it was so shitty. And he goes, but I was like, they're going to learn their lesson. Good. So we brought them in and was like, <laughs> this is my house. Here's my TV. Got my N64 over here. And they're like, is this it? Like <laughs> the editing was trying to make it look all cool. And it was just like a normal house. Yeah. I, I've seen some episodes of Cribs <sighs> like that where I felt uncomfortable. It's been like. I liked this one because he knew what he was, he was doing. doing it on purpose. He was doing That's it funny. very much. That's very purpose. funny. <laughs> I wish I could remember his name because it was oh, so funny. Good for you, friend. But anyways, so she's not making any money off of them. Yes. So it's like, and then she's like only making money by going out and performing concerts of these songs that she doesn't own. <laughs> so fucking stupid. So she's again just she's frustrated. You know what I'm saying? It's like really hard coming back from being like a teen pop star and right. now you're getting older and she's just feeling lost. And then she meets a woman named Bella Abzug battling Bella as she was known. was an American lawyer, a politician, a social activist and a leader in the women's movement. They became really close. And Bella said like, she really helped her find her feminist voice and gave her a bit of that passion that she'd been missing for a while. And I didn't really get more about their relationship like I tried to look up more about it because she was so important to Bella that when Bella died she was a pallbearer at her Leslie was a pallbearer at her funeral Whoa. that's how close they were and they said like this relationship changed Leslie's life but like they didn't get any specifics and I was like but how come on, <laughs> come on. give me more Ugh. I want all your dirty secrets exactly so I don't know but I do know that like I think this kind of Again, like she kind of like had a couple like awakenings of like, okay, I need to be more politically active. Like I should be really using my feminist voice for bigger mm. things. Um, so Leslie toured all over the world with her songs and a repertoire of songs from other female singers she admired. Um, a lot of these tours were a big success. She was also still writing songs and selling them to record companies in Hollywood. Then a young songwriter <laughs> that she had worked with a few years before started to stalk her i don't know why she has so many stalkers she's because um, she's lovely yeah she's a lovely person <laughs> he called her 80 times a day and leslie said she was scared to pick up the phone or like leave her house at points finally after two years of this the police finally got involved and stopped the harassment two i don't know why years two years then in 1996 another little boost to her career came along the hit movie, The First Wives Club, came out, and in a very famous scene, Goldie Hawn, Diane Keaton, and Bette Midler danced and sang her song, You Don't Own Me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and this was, like, a really big deal. You know, this was, like, putting her back in the spotlight of a song that she was really proud of, you know, because I think she always loved her, like, more bubblegum pop songs, but she was like, that one, like, that was the one that really... I think that I wanted to sing. I chose to sing. It hit home because she was growing up and uh -huh. she was owning that she was growing up. Exactly. Um, so that's exciting. Puts her name back out there again. Things are going fine. Uh, but then in 1998, her great friend Bella, as we just talked about, died. And her father died. So that was a really rough time. And she took some time off and decided that it was time to reflect on her life and her career. And she was like, you know what? When I was a kid, I wanted to be a Broadway star. 
what happened to that? Yeah, why did I stop singing? That's why I started going to these voice lessons. Right. She's like, I wanted to be on Broadway. So she goes, and in 1999, she starred in the musical Smokey Joe's Cafe. Very Girl, exciting. it is never too late to find no, your dreams. No, it's not. So professional life is steady again. Uh, and then in 2003, she took a really big step and started hosting a PBS program called In the Life. And this was a program from the gay and lesbian news magazine of the same name. And they focused on sharing stories from the LGBT. Obviously, it was just like the lesbian gay, gay community, community at this time, at that but that point, LGBTQ yeah. plus community. And Leslie was on it talking about things such as the Stonewall riots and referring to the gay and lesbian community as we and our story. And her own story. Because Leslie was a lesbian. What? Really? Yes. All this time? All this time. Girl, I had no idea. Yeah. I mean, this was no surprise to her friends and family. Leslie had been having relationships with women since she was in her 20s. Okay, sure. So it's been a long time coming. This had been a long time. And she had been dating the same woman, a jewelry designer named Lois Sasson, since 1982. Oh, so she has a life partner. She has a life partner partner okay yeah serious situation but the public didn't really know until she started hosting this series she said you know the music business was totally homophobic but she never felt like she had to pretend she was straight she said i just kind of lived my life naturally and i did what i wanted to do i didn't avoid anything but i also didn't put it in anybody's face she said people assumed i was straight and i just kind of kept my personal life you know to myself personal yeah, I just kept it personal. And she's like, but people probably should have picked up on it in the 1996 film Grace of My Heart because she co-wrote the song My Secret Love for the character of Kelly Porter, who was based on Leslie. Oh, okay, baby. Okay. <laughs> Hidden um, in plain sight. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, people probably should have picked up on that uh, because in the movie, this character is a closeted lesbian. Right. <laughs> and she wrote it. her like anthem. <laughs> Um, but I think in the early 2000s, she started to think maybe people could benefit from hearing my story and maybe I should be a little more vocal about my personal life. And of course, she went on the Ellen DeGeneres show in 2003 to talk about her life. <laughs> I tried really hard to find this interview and I could not find Ugh. it. I was devastated. Who wouldn't go on the Ellen show? Come on. Uh, okay. So she's out. She's talking to Ellen. And then in 2005, she released her first album of new material since 1976 called Ever Since. The album was received very well critically and even had a new rendition of You Don't Own Me, which the New York Daily News said lends a pop classic new life. Oh. So she starts writing her memoir. And even more exciting, she starts writing a Broadway show about her life and career, something kind of like Carole King's musical Beautiful telling her life through her music. But unfortunately, before either of these projects could come to life, Leslie died on February 16th, 2015 at the age of 68 from lung cancer. What a crazy short death. I I hate that. She left behind this great musical legacy and her partner of 33 years, Lois. I... What an amazing story. I it just, just comes to a screeching halt. <laughs> I, I feel that in my bones. Mm. Wow. I, I definitely didn't know all those songs were her. I 
kind of expected that she would have been dropped from music after like her early music, but mm-hmm. to, just to come back swinging, mm-hmm. Les, she love just, it. She did. I, I was watching her biography thing, and everything. She's like, yeah, she's like that kind of sucked, but you know, you just gotta keep going. Like, <laughs> she just. I would be devastated if sure. any of that stuff was happening to me. Like, n- like, I don't know. It just sounds really hard. And she was just, she just took it in stride. So I was like, you just got to keep going. You just got to keep writing songs, no. selling your songs. No. I would sit like, around and stew. Like, do you know who I am? I'm Leslie Gore. I do that now and I'm no yeah. one. <laughs> oh, and Emily Hill recommended Leslie. Oh, I, Emily. I, I forgot in the beginning. Oh my gosh. Yes. Emily, thank you for recommending Leslie. Uh, I felt like she's the soundtrack to like so many things and yes. I didn't know anything about her. Emily, longtime listener. Love you, Emily. Met producer before she met us. Yes. Crazy <laughs> situation. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get some more cocktails. And we'll be back with part two. It's time. It's time. <laughs> We're back, part two, with another Rose O'Neill. Uh, yes, <laughs> this is so funny. Rose O'Neill Greenhow. We did Rose O'Neill. Yes, but not Rose O'Neill Greenhow. Yeah. This is a different person. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah, it's all great. Totally okay. Um, so you want to know what you're drinking? I do. You are gonna hate it. <laughs> okay, so it's called In Plain Sight because she is a spy, oh. a spy espionage, <laughs> and. 
what I found out, and she's a Southern Belle. Mm-hmm. So what I found out is the only difference between a mint julep and a what's the other one? Mojito. Uh-huh. It's like one is bourbon and mint, uh-huh. and one is rum and mint. Yes, with citrus. Uh-huh. So I mix those two cocktails together. Okay, it is going to be mayhem. <laughs> and then I even added grapefruit juice. Oh my gosh! So it is bourbon, rum, mint, simple syrup, not Ooh. real mint. Okay, lime juice uh-huh. and grapefruit juice. All right, this is bananas. <laughs> Very weird. Very weird. The grapefruit juice wasn't necessary, I don't think. I don't know. I I kind of like the grapefruit juice. Mm. It get, Honestly, the grapefruit and the peach and the lime are mixing together and kind of giving it like a peachy flavor. It's weird. <laughs> it's very weird. Mm. I'll deal with it, though. Whatever. Mm. <laughs> I was like, let me mix two cocktails and see what happens. I actually... I don't hate I it. The more I drink it, the more I like it. I don't hate it. I don't it's interesting hate taste. it. Um, it's different. I'm trying to different. not repeat myself. It is hard. It's getting very hard. hard. <laughs> We're at like 440, no, 450 cocktails, I we think. We are. 452. Yeah. Ooh, that makes me, and plus the book interviews. That's like a whole nother set of cocktails. That's crazy. Yeah, crazy that's talk. Really nuts. Um, anyways. <laughs> Here we go. I don't know anything about this woman. <laughs> Nothing I at all. I don't know one bit. I you said she was a spy. Yeah. So who requested this interesting lady? This is a request from Allison Duggan. Allison. Yeah. Okay. Rose has been sitting on the list for a while, so I'm really excited Perfect. to get to it. <gasps> well, thank you, Allison. Yes. I hope you're still listening and didn't abandon us because we didn't. <laughs> we'll, like, try to have you, I guess. <laughs> Most people have stuck around. I also feel bad because, like, there was one time where I, I tagged a request and this person was like, I don't know what this is. I'm not this person. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe they listened to it. Who maybe knows? They did. Maybe we got maybe a they... whole new listener. It's a whole new marketing We've tactic. We've also done requests before that was like the wrong woman. We did that this time We've with done... Rose O'Neill. Apparently, <laughs> Rebecca <laughs> Denauer was like, that is not the, the Eleanor Abbott that I was talking She wanted about. to know about who is the Snow Queen and Mr. Licorice. But yeah, so we were supposed to be talking about Candyland, and we ended up talking about an illustrator, both very interesting, and now I would really like to do the Candyland woman, um, because I never, I've never played Candyland. That's a disgrace. <laughs> do you know what we should do? At the end of this season, we should do the Candyland woman mm-hmm. and the, like, a niece whose uncle made Monopoly. Ooh, that will be fun. That would be great. Oh and I'll, then we can have a game night right afterwards. We have should, to do it on like a Friday. Should we bring Candyland to the bar for my birthday? Yes. <laughs> I mean, are you kidding? So are you kidding? Of my course. only experience with Candyland is it's that so like I took the, what's the print, the blue princess person? That she looks like Elsa. She's like yes. the snow queen. Yeah. Like she's like the snow queen. I stole her little card oh, from shoot. my preschool. <gasps> and I felt so bad a that I, I flushed it down the toilet. No, you didn't. <laughs> Like your mom would have ever found it anywhere and been suspicious. Your house was so like it had clutter. Chaotic. It wasn't dirty, but it was clutter. It was chaotic. There were all the boys, all the lacrosse equipment everywhere. Maybe that's why she would have found it. Maybe yeah, she, she would have been like, like, "This doesn't belong." What is this snow princess doing here? <laughs> we don't have, We don't have Candyland here. <laughs> Anyways, so Rose. <laughs> so this Rose. This Rose. <laughs> this Rose was born Maria Rosetta O'Neill. And she was born in 1813 on a small plantation in Montgomery County, Maryland. (gasps) 
No. Yes. A which local girl. She's a local baby, which if you don't know, is directly northwest of D.C. and southwest of Baltimore. So like yeah. Montgomery County is like in this weird zone of like southern Maryland. It's a weird zone of southern Maryland, north D.C. So it's like they... It, everyone who works in D.C. and makes a shit ton of money lives in Montgomery County. Lives in Montgomery County. <laughs> but at this point, it's just a plantation. Ah. It's a plantation foundation. <laughs> um, we'll have a plantation foundation. <laughs> but there were enslaved people there, so it wasn't fun. <sighs> uh, there's a tobacco plantation, and it's unclear like exactly what year she's born. I said 1813, but it's sometime in that like five-year period. Mm-hmm. She's the third of five daughters her dad was John O'Neill. He's a tobacco planter, a slaveholder. Her mom is Eliza Henrietta Hamilton. She's his wife. The family is Catholic. They are slaveholders. They are from Southern Maryland. So they in the heart of the country at during Civil War. <laughs> when during the country was smaller. During Civil War times. <laughs> the heart. Montgomery County. <laughs> Instead of Maria she went by Rose because her middle name was Rosetta mm-hmm. and then her dad also changed their last name he dropped the e from O'Neill it was o n o apostrophe n e a l e so they dropped the e off the end of O'Neill couldn't figure out why well they sound like maybe they're Irish, Irish. so maybe this is a similar a situation of, <laughs> yeah changing last name to you know cuz like my grandparents changed their last name from Dunkelman to Dinkelman to hide the fact that they were German. It's like it helped out. Dinkelman is still pretty German. Yeah, but <laughs> Dunkelman sounds more German. <laughs> I wish it was still Dunkelman because Dunkel, like there, there's a Dunkel beer because Dunkel is hops. It was the yeah. grower of we were beer makers. So anyway, so jealous of that. I know that's why I I love the last name Dunkelman. My grandmother's maiden name was Merchant. I was like, why didn't you keep that? We were salespeople, baby. Oh my god. Wheeling and dealing. That's why I'm with a busy, busy businessman. Yeah, <laughs> okay. So her dad, when she's like 13 or 14 years old, gets murdered by one of his enslaved people. Whoa. So Eliza is widowed with five daughters. They're low on cash. The dad had gotten into debt. And imagine being like a 14-year-old girl who one of the people you own has just murdered your father. She becomes very anti-abolition from this point forward. So when I said she's a spy, I meant not for the good guys. no. Rose. Just taking a bad turn. Yeah, Rose. Come on. Okay, but we got to We got to tell the story. Got to keep going. (laughs) She existed. That's it. Let's shut it down. People like her existed. (laughs) So uh, she went from being in a wealthy family to having a single mother with five girls. The girls were eventually... dispersed to other family members and rose and one of her sisters ellen went to live with their aunt in actual washington dc proper their aunt maria ann hill ran a stylish boarding house at an Mm. old like capitol building Mm -hmm. the girls met many important figures in the washington area and her olive skin like we said earlier got her the nickname wild rose Mm. Boarding houses were very respectable jobs for single and widowed women at this time. And D.C. is not like it is today. Today, senators own two homes, one in Washington, D.C., and one in their home state. It wasn't like that. They owned a home in their home state, and then they would come to D.C. and stay in a boarding house. Mm. So all in all, there's about 80 different boarding houses in D.C. 
Rose's aunt's was a congressional boarding house. Um, and Rose's dad had been a property owner. So she was at least a little bit educated. She wasn't mm-hmm. super high class, but she was like enough that like she could get by in educated circles. Yeah. Uh-huh. So in the 1830s, she meets Dr. Robert Greenhow Jr. He's a prominent doctor. He's a lawyer. He's a linguist from Virginia. He has a job as a federal librarian with a medical degree. Who is this guy? Who is he? (laughs) It's no Justin Bieber at Harvard. That's for sure. (laughs) They start dating by the, like, behoost of Dolly Madison. Sally Madison is like their matchmaker. This is when she's old and like wandering around DC after James Madison died. Remember we, in reference to last season's closer. She has got her pulse on the social scene. Her <laughs> finger on the, the pulse, pulse of, of the, the social, social scene, scene whatever it is. DC. Perfect. She's not her ghost rocking on the front porch yeah. yet, but she is really still matching people up. Um, the courtship was really well received by Washington society. So they're running in really cool circles. And the thing is, like, Robert is marrying a little bit down by marrying Rose. But she had four sisters. She's one of five girls. And they're all kind of marrying up. Mm. And because she was, like, the third, some of her sister's kids are marrying up. Oh, so they're, okay. like, their whole There's family. upward momentum. Yeah. They're, like, all take one rung on the ladder for one of the girls is two for the next girl. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think her, wait, her sister had just married, oh, Dolly Madison's nephew, James Madison Cutts. And then James Madison Cutt and her sister's daughter, Adelaide Cutts, marries Stephen Douglas, who's the guy who lost against Abraham Lincoln. So, like, her niece... Like, married the guy who ran for president. So, like, she's... The Al Gore. Yeah, the, the Al Gore. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know if it was quite as tight. No. Wasn't quite as tight. Actually, it was a very tight uh, election with Lincoln. Oh, really? And I, the reasoning... I don't know about it. The reasoning is the South split its decision. Mm. They had too many candidates. I believe that's what happened. And they ended up splitting the vote. So Lincoln, America's biggest fear. Yeah, that <laughs> is why we're two parties. Honestly, America's biggest fear. Um, and it still doesn't work in our favor. No, <laughs> ever. But yeah, that's what happened. I believe with the 1860 election, I'd have to double check. But it also that's also how Andrew Jackson got elected. I think they split the vote on the other side. So we've scared ourselves into remission. Yes. <laughs> okay. So it's 1835. Rose is marrying Robert Greenhound Jr. Dolly's blessing everything's long been established. Robert is working for the U.S. State Department. Um, and, and, like, they're all becoming close friends with each other. They meet and become friends with somebody with the last name Lee, which like a Robert oh. E. Lee situation. Uh-huh. Um, but he's a northerner? No, southerner. Robert E. Lee. I'm thinking yeah. Grant. Grant, yeah. is, Grant the, is the one we yeah. like. Yeah. <laughs> Robert E. Lee is the south. I always forget because, okay. This is a truly embarrassing fact about my family. You know how we have, like, my cousin Bobby is, like, Bobby Three, the uh-huh, third? Uh-huh. Their names are all Robert Lee. <gasps> like, my fucking family. Oh my One, gosh. two, and three. On purpose. Yeah. That's that gross. It is uncomfortable. <laughs> it's very upsetting. You know what's funny? I just, like, walk away from the situation. <laughs> I told everybody last week I was working in Deep Virginia. And I drove by like a Robert E. Lee like historical site. Like it was Deep like Virginia. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, 
here we are. And I'm like, oh, the Confederate flags are flying everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) This is it. What a nation state. (laughs) Yep, here we are. (laughs) Deep Virginia. Anyways. Deep Virginia, Southern Mama. (laughs) Robert E. Lee. Yeah, here we go. Okay. So Robert Greenhow, Uh uh, working for the State Department, has to go out west. I found in one source they spent a little bit of time in Mexico City for some reason. Um, But most of the sources were talking about San Francisco. So they're there for a couple years. And then in 1852, Rose is pregnant again. They end up having four daughters together. Okay. Um, so she's also, like, popping out babies this whole time. Mm-hmm. So she's pregnant. It's 1852. She's like, I'm going to go back east. Mm-hmm. It takes a month to get back east. She has mm-hmm. her baby along the way, named her Rose. They call her Little Rose. <gasps> so cute. cute. Youngest like baby. Okay. Um, Bad people can make a decision. <laughs> they can make sometimes. <laughs> but Robert, uh, sadly, has this really strange accident in San Francisco. He falls from this elevated, like, platform sidewalk and dies. <gasps> but don't worry. It doesn't disrupt Rose or her popularity. He had been over there for, like, two years without her at this oh, point. And she's okay. like, oh, my husband died. I mean, she's sad and, like, has less money. But now she has a pension. And because he was a stick u.s state something something yeah so she's got this pension she's running in high political circles and this is the america of like buchanan and jefferson davis who are like making waves in the south so after losing her husband she becomes even more sympathetic to the confederate cause she was an advocate for secession and preserving the southern like dixie way of life including obviously slavery but they all called it states rights Uh she's strongly influenced by her friendship with u.s senator john c calhoun from south carolina like she's with the big namers she's like a girl the civil war breaks out she's already embedded in politics not only that she now owns her own boarding house in washington dc like of her very own And if you know anything about the layout of Washington, D.C., her boarding house is currently where the Hayes Adams Hotel is, which is if you're looking at the White House on Uh Pennsylvania Avenue, it is like the corner building. Uh So like right now there's security and fences Uh and the front lawn. But at that point, like any good athlete could throw like a baseball from the boarding house she owned and the Lincoln White House. So. Her loyalty to Jefferson is through the roof, and she can literally see who's walking in and out of the White House to have meetings with mm-hmm. President Lincoln, um, which makes her a great candidate for ding, 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 spying. Yay. Now, they didn't call it spying back then. They just asked her to collect information. Uh-huh. Just please collect information. So she's like, I'm absolutely going to do that. Her kind of, quote, recruiter, I think, was U.S. Army Captain Thomas Jordan. Okay. And he's like, we're going to set up this pro-Southern spy network. And he gives her this, like, 26-symbol cipher to encode messages. And then he eventually passes control of the espionage to Rose pretty much entirely. Um, And then she would, like, pass messages down south. Having a boarding house where men of higher status come regularly is really good for her. Like the general of the Northern Army, General McDowell, is visiting. He's in charge of the Union. And she would be like, say things like, um, oh, general, how many troops do I need to pray for as they go away to war? 3,000? And he'd be like, no. 
<laughs> more like more like thirty thousand, or more like oh, and where should I where should I direct my prayers? You know, hot or cold, honey. Just give me a <laughs> just give me a vibe. <laughs> How much artillery are our men, our good great men, fighting? With? You know, she is like playing the game of all these boys, and then passing the information to Beauregard, oh who's gosh. like generaling in the south. Um, so. The the big, big first battle of the Civil War is the first battle of Bull Run. And she had passed to the Confederacy how many troops were going to be there, where they were going to be located, and, like, a general time frame from when they were going to get there. So it's between July 9th and July 16th. She passes this information to the Confederate General Beauregard, very famous, regarding the Union movement. And they go and just like fucking destroy at the Battle of Bull Run. Destroy. Which nobody expected because everybody's like, this is a ragtag military. Yeah. We have Rose to thank for that victory that shook the Union at its core. This is when Lincoln said, I need to fire my general. I thought this was not going to be a big war and it was just going to be a skirmish and I'm going to start over. He had to replan the war based on the information that this woman passed. Isn't that bananas? It's like, I'm so fascinated by it and I fucking hate it. I know. It's like, I'm so proud of you, but why? It's like, what hell hath this woman wrought? <laughs> like, what the exactly. Fuck? And this is, okay, Jordan, the guy who like recruited her, um, brings her this message. Our president, meaning Jefferson Davis, yeah, our yeah. president and our general direct me to thank you. We rely upon you for further information. The Confederacy owes you a debt. And they start calling her Rebel Rose. Oh, which is so Even cool. her name is cool. I hate it. God. Okay. God damn it. It's so dumb. So people weren't suspecting women. We found this of civil northern spies too. They weren't suspecting women because they couldn't understand that women could comprehend this information. So men would talk openly in rooms around women running boarding mm -hmm. houses. And they would just like the women would ask questions and they thought they were like appeasing them. Like how I talk to Jake when he's watching golf. Yeah. And I don't actually give a shit, but I pretend I'm giving a shit. That's what they were doing. Only they were actually giving a shit. Yeah. Well, and it's also like, I mean, think about like we did Bonnie and Clyde's story like years ago and like. They literally would just, like, let her walk into the jail with guns and stuff to they pass on to Clyde because they're like, women are not capable of doing bad things. Exactly. <laughs> Outrageous. <laughs> and so we get to the true feminist of this story, Alan Pinkerton. And I, I don't Alan Pinkerton? Yeah, I don't know if he's, like, a real feminist, but. Of the Pinkerton Detective Agency? Yes. <laughs> This is his first job. No. Spy on Rose. Lincoln is like, I can see all these union guys going into her boarding house and she's got a hard on for Jefferson Davis. Somebody please watch her. It is outrageous. So okay. Lincoln's like, Pinkerton, please do something about this. So he's like, he starts like standing on people's shoulders to look through the windows. Stop. Of her boarding house like this, like a little like a little I boy. I love that. <laughs> and and all these like, I love how he walked in on the shoulders with like a big trench coat. <laughs> but instead of it was kids, mink. It was mink. It was mink coat. <laughs> I love the idea of it not being like three little kids, but like two full grown men. It's not the aliens from Space Jam. <laughs> it's like the actual 
<laughs> they're not like stealing Charles uh, Barkley's <laughs> basketball the, powers. The big rascals. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so he's standing there. He's looking through the windows, and he's like, all of these Union soldiers are like pointing to maps and showing her where things are. He's like, this is absurd. So she comes out into the street to just do her errands. You know, she's got to go to Bel Air or whatever mm -hmm. she has to do. Um, and he tries to like arrest her in the street and everybody's like, why is this working class man trying to accost this really <laughs> famous, amazing woman? So he gets arrested. No. He gets arrested. And he talks to the cops and he's like, guys, I'm like working for Abraham Lincoln. And also, do you know who I'm about to be? Do you even have an idea? So then um, he gets permission to search her house. And that is when he finds all these materials that she had kind of half burned. There are scraps of coded messages. There's eight reports that were written to Southern officers there's maps about where the military is and the military movement and i mean they just also found these love letters between her and this massachusetts abolitionist senator who she had like i guess tricked into falling in love with her to get information oh but the his biographers say they weren't from him they're like the the handwriting doesn't match up i'm like okay okay, okay. Okay. Who has that kind of information? Who has it? This Republican senator from the North. Okay. So Rose's papers now, if you wanted to see these things, are in the National Archives. Um, so the, And some are available online. So you can actually go and look at some of Rose's uh, papers that were taken out of her home after she was arrested for the first time. So Pinkerton supervises Rose's house. She's put on house arrest. She's not put in prison yet. Civil War prison's kind of dingy. Mm -hmm. So they're like, okay, house arrest, and we're going to move other Southern sympathizers into house arrest. So it gets the name, like, the um, Fort Greenhow, because, like, her last name is Greenhow, <laughs> that's and that's what they're calling it. This is where we lock you up. Um, and he's loving this, but she keeps spying. She knew everybody in D.C. So yeah. she had had a network built up of 48 women and two men so she changes the colors of her curtains and she puts a certain number of candles in the windows and she hangs handkerchiefs around just like in her house and all these people are passing information. So the union is furious. They're like, you're being so lenient because she's a woman. When right. originally, Alan is the only one who believes she had the wits to do this in the first place. Yeah. And mm -hmm. now he's like, you're right. We have to do something. So she gets taken to the old Capitol prison, which, again, if you know anything about the layout of D.C., there's the Capitol building. Mm -hmm. Directly behind it is the Supreme Court building that used to be where the old Capitol prison was. So it's like right on the other side of the Capitol building behind the National Mall, which didn't exist at the time. So many politician, like, political prisoners are in prison with her at the old Capitol prison. I mean, this is where the people who tried to assassinate Lincoln the first time were being held. This mm -hmm. is where war criminals are being held. She's, like, with the big timers. Yeah. But she was also allowed to have little Rose, who's eight years old, with her in prison. I forgot she had a daughter. She's got four kids. What? Little, she has four <laughs> daughters. Little Rose is the smallest, so she's allowed to have the eight-year-old. Some of them she had way early on, and they're married. One of them married a senator from Ohio they're living up north totally not with their mom vibe like her kids are married to like politicians all over the country <laughs> that's why i like only clocked little rose yeah. because i loved the name so much yeah it's really cute the other names i have them written down but didn't even say them yeah, because it's just she had four girls yeah and they all married up yeah so <clears throat> and five sisters that all married up so who knows she's just like really in it 
So little Rose is staying in prison, but she's allowed to go outside into the yard to do stuff. So she is passing messages in the front yard because she's still in Washington, D.C. Yeah. So she's in prison from January 1862 to May 1862. So a period of several months. But the U.S. government had not yet um, executed a woman. The U.S. federal government had never executed a woman. So, like, things like the Massachusetts Bay Colony had executed witches, but they were still a part of England. Like, this is like a federal government thing. It hadn't happened yet. So there's all these trials going on for people in prison, but they just kind of don't know what to do do with her so they decide they're going to trade her for a union person in the south they want back Uh and the south makes the deal and they tell her go to the south Uh don't come back we don't want you in union territory again Mm -hmm. she goes to richmond she's in richmond virginia first thing she does out of prison meet with jefferson davis the president of the confederacy invites her to dine with him in richmond like like, this is insane. She's so, so famous. Well, it's also frustrating because, like, so many people are underestimating her. Not him. Mm-hmm. He knows mm-hmm. exactly what she's capable of. He knows exactly. And he appreciates what she's capable of. Exactly. helping him. Like, And, I mean, she decides she's going to go get support for the Confederacy. She gets on a boat and goes to Europe. She goes to France. She goes to England. She raises all this money. She meets with Queen Victoria. She meets with Napoleon III. She's writing a memoir about her time in prison called My Imprisonment and the First Year of Abolitionist Rule at Washington. Why does that remind me of Mein Kampf? I I wrote in my notes, (laughs) that's what Hitler did. (laughs) My struggle. Here's my book about my time in prison that make you mad at the government. Like, that's exactly what she's doing. Maybe Hitler copied her. What an ah! idiot. What an idiot. Somebody already did it. He's just a rebel rose 2.0. <laughs> what a dummy. So, yeah, it's absolutely, like, nuts. Everything that's happening is crazy. She's over there, and she's like, okay, I've been here for a bit. I've raised a whole ton of money. Her memoir sold really well, like, in Europe, which actually surprised me because, like, slavery was illegal in Europe long before, years mm. before it was Mm-hmm. illegal in the united states so mm-hmm. like it surprised me but i mean <laughs> never underestimate somebody who is a racist well, they love a book to support that's them the thing because you know that like when it was outlawed or something there were people that were like what the fuck yeah like, i love slaves i love that yeah <laughs> you know there are people who are going to sympathize like you'll find you'll you'll find find someone you'll find somebody who like does um uh confirmation bias for sure yes absolutely back then you had to get on a horse and buggy you had to go across the ocean (laughs) she had to leave the country i the fake country the confederacy the other day that was like this it was like when you're the only mom at the soccer game not wearing sunglasses i was like that's bad for your eyes what I was like, is she talking about like paying attention or like you know like being present for the game? No, she's telling people that wearing sunglasses is bad for your eyes. I hate that, and it's like so. Is plastic peanut butter jars? She was like, you need 
she's like, you, your, your eyes actually need sunlight. And it's like, well, yes, of course. Like, you know, Damien Eccles nearly went blind in solitary confinement. Yeah. Duh. So like, yes, his eyes are. I'm not a cave fish. I'm not a cave fish. It's like, <laughs> if you're just out all day with no sun, it's not good for your eyes. Like, I'm sorry. You should be wearing sunglasses at your kid's soccer game. And I'm going to be a hundred percent honest. <laughs> I look at my phone during little league games so that like for my own mental health yeah because i would start like screaming i would be the yeah. parent that was so into the game that i would be like cursing at children <laughs> like i'd be like you idiot yeah. <laughs> like how could you miss that it was just so funny because i was like and like all the people in the comments were like yes like no more sunglasses like we need the sun for our eyes and i was oh like my where God. were you during the eclipse a few years ago when it was like <laughs> people, we had to make an announcements that were like don't look at the sun and people are like why do we have to tell people this this is why, because now they're trying to tell you sunglasses are bad for you. Did this, she got her information from Galileo. Come on. Just put it in a telescope. Just Galileo look right at it. <laughs> what a crazy situation. I, I love that. something that I saw recently, and I, I can't get it out of my head because it's so crazy to me. Well, it hits very close to home for us right yes, now. Yes, it does. It hits very close to home for us right now. And I was like, that's a really wild one. Ooh, I heard you were a wild one. People not to wear sunglasses. I like that song. And that's the thing. Again, actively encouraging people not to protect their eyeballs. You can not wear sunglasses if you don't want. I don't care what you do. I don't care. I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Like, just why you got to make me not wear sunglasses? I like my sunglasses. My eyes hurt sometimes. Also, if I want to look good in a picture, put me in some sunglasses. Yo, makes my face go down 10 years. on. 10 years. (laughs) Anytime I have acting like this, I wear glasses to work my glasses. <gasps> so I'm like, distract. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a trickster. Okay. Anyway, sorry. That was, I, I've been wanting to say it for a couple of days now to someone. Mm. And now it just, that's perfect. Now. That's perfect. So, I mean, Rose has been in England that long. <laughs> as long as that aside. As long as that aside. Too. Good, good, good. So that's where she's been. And then she decides, okay, I'm going to go home. Little Rose is going to stay in France. Cause she's like, I'm not going to take. I'm not going to take her home to a war-torn country where I'm, like, the villain. Uh-huh. She's like, I'm going to wait until the South wins and Dix- <laughs> Dixie rises again. You know, this crazy shit. So she is coming home. But she has, they have to go in blockade boats, you know, because they're all trying to block supplies from other people. Right. So it's like a blockade runner boat. So it's a super fast boat. Um, they get through, but then they're run ashore by the blockade boat people. And she's like, well, I don't, I don't want to go back to prison. She's like, I promised I'd stay out of the North. I've stayed out of the North, but I really don't want to go to prison, especially because she had sewn $2,000 worth of gold into her dress to get across the ocean. Um, and she gets in the rowboat and she's like, let's do it. Let's do it. We're getting out of here. Rowboat capsizes. <gasps> Rose dies. No. She drowns. Oh. What a poetic ending. What a poetic ending. I'm sorry, my sunglass rant was like right at the end. <laughs> no, this is perfect because I still have some info here. Oh, my gosh. So she dies. They find her body four days later. And um, she gets a full, in the South, full military funeral, full regalia. They drape the Confederate flag over her coffin. It is still considered like a grave to visit. On her grave, it says, Miss Rose O'Neill Greenhow, a bearer of dispatches to the Confederate government. There have been two biographies about her. She's been in NBC TV series, The America. There was a show called Rose and Jackal. In 1993, this one will piss you off. In 1993, the Women's Auxiliary 
of the Sons of the Confederate Veterans decided to change its name to the Order of the Confederate Rose. As if that's better somehow. <laughs> I will say it is a better name than it's whatever their name better was before. Name. It's a better name. Uh, but <laughs> Sons of the Confederacy, like, okay, I get that your ancestors fought in the Civil War, but they committed treason. Yeah. Is the they were they were a committed treason like yeah. i can't put I, yeah, it any simpler yeah. like there's no like i understand for a shitty reason too yeah it's like the other thing it's like yeah i mean i understand i do reason. understand like small government versus large government yeah, conversations there are, there are more conversations but people had, make but... those conversations for their own yeah. benefit <laughs> and their benefit was on the backs of humans that were being abused so that is a very uncomfortable uncomfortable situation yeah. so the main gist of this story is it was really hard for me to appreciate how intelligent she was because yeah. I don't agree with her, yeah. but I do appreciate how intelligent she was. I just hate her actions. Well, she's a classic Slytherin. Sure. You know, she's very cunning. Yeah. She's very good at what she's doing. Right. And like, I do, there is a level that I can be like, wow, like. I wish she was on our side because, like, she would have been a really big help. Would have been really helpful. <laughs> you Super know, helpful. Because, like, what she's doing is very interesting and difficult and daring. Like, you know, like, she really, she did really believe in what she was doing. And, like, I understand that it came from personal reasons, but it's, like, also, like, Maybe your family shouldn't have been enslaving people. Right. And then maybe they wouldn't murder you. Like your dad was probably abusing him away. or his family. Yeah. That's crazy. Like <laughs> I like when I tried to boil it down. Yeah. I decided it's like she was fighting for the wrong reasons, but with the right spirit. That's a good way to put it. Like yeah. her, the spirit that she had was like the one that I try to be a part of. Like, yeah, I want to fight for the causes I believe in. I just don't like her fucking causes. <laughs> They're yeah. terrible. You yeah. know, I, I mean, there's no if and or but about it. She is a villain. Yeah, she she's is. She's a villain in this story. Mm -hmm. Like we can't paint her like a hero because she was a smart woman. She was. Yeah. Well, and that's what makes the villains that, you know, we still talk about so interesting is like when they are like smart and like we you have to work that much harder to hate them defeat them yeah you know yeah, yeah, yeah. you know what i'm saying like i don't know this is a very interesting story and that's <laughs> that's rose right. baby that's rose well now we need to talk about these two women together in a little segment we like to call just the two of us wow this i don't know what i was thinking putting these two together this is a treat I <laughs> am interested. So there's a couple things. They okay. both wrote like memoirs and died like right away after. That's true. Or wanted to write mm -hmm. memoirs and die right away after. Mm -hmm. They both like toured the world. Like Leslie went and did like world tour. That's true. Rose did that. <laughs> I also, I feel like they were at the center of very famous things, you know? It's oh, like, yeah. There are things where you're like, wow, she was there for like Rose was friends with jefferson davis and yeah. rose was there for you know whatever like you know like rose is a part of a lot of really big things it's mm -hmm. like she's literally across the street from the white house during the civil war like that's like she's a part of very big things and right. i kind of feel like that same with like leslie it's like you know her as like this one hit wonder but actually she was like basically the voice of teen girls of the 60s right like, you know what i'm saying yeah like, yes very interesting like 
they're a part of things that are bigger than we give them credit for. Well, and um, Leslie got to a point where it was like, Leslie, Pop's not in anymore. Yeah. And that's what we're saying about Rose's ideals. Like, hey, honey. Yeah. That's not in. The North was saying, this is not in. Yeah. Get over the slavery thing. We're not doing it anymore. Yeah. Well, and Leslie was able to be like, okay, I'm going to redirect. And Leslie kept redirecting her entire career. Oh, yeah. You know, and being like, all right, like that's I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to keep going and keep trying to do better things for like Rose was just digging her heels in. No, and was she like, was hammering it into the ground. All right. Like if I'm like, you know, not able to do my thing over here, I'm going to do something over in Europe. I'm going to get more people on my side over there, which like kind of it feels icky. You it know? is. Because it's yeah. like you're just going to find the get like the confirm like the confirmation bias and it's like you're going to find just like the few people that agree with you in europe to like prove your point that like the world thinks that we should have slavery right. <laughs> yeah. whatever the fuck it is you know but I, I think they were both in bigger arenas than they intended to be in yes i think there's these like accidental arena like leslie like ended up on the radio overnight like in a in a period in of a, a week, week. <laughs> And I think that Rose is like, I'm just trying to survive. But then was given a lot of credibility from the men around her. She had a lot of sponsors who were like, yeah. do this. You can do this. What's well, so interesting because both of them duly had people that were very much behind them and really believing in them and encouraging them. Sure. And also people who were underestimating them. Yeah. Like. Quincy Jones was like, Leslie, you're it. I love your voice. I'm here. Like, let's do this. And then everybody's like, oh, well, like, you're just a, like a teen. Like, what do they call him? A teeny bopper. Like, yeah. you're just a teeny bopper. And like, he like, there's one guy that's like, no, no, no. Like, you are bigger than that. And I felt like the same was true of Rose about like the people who valued her ended up getting a really good return on their investment. Mm. <laughs> and the people who didn't got fucked because it's like, you're just going to keep talking around her when like. She could be passing. Like, it's just the underestimating of women is so rampant in both of their stories. Absolutely. That it's, like, really frustrating because, again, it can either fuck you over or it can bring you a lot of great success. And I also think they were both just naturally good at what they were doing. <sighs> they were just yeah. good at it. Like, Rose was just really good at talking to people. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that Leslie was just good. That's why this voice singer wanted her. That's why they could pass these records on and on yeah. and on. Mm -hmm. You know? It's true. But yeah. there's one message I want to keep hearing and that it's that I'm allowed to cry. Yeah. <laughs> when I, I want to. And I don't give a shit about what Rose has to say. God. Rose would hate Leslie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she would. This would be fun on Celebrity Knockout. Yeah. <laughs> Rose and Leslie. Oh, my gosh. Rose can't swim, though. She's weighed down by, by all, all her gold. <laughs> well, by all the gold. She, again, it's like that's a poetic ending of like all the gold that you got from fundraising from all these fucked up people over there, you know, that you fear mongered. It drowns you. It drowns like literally, yes, it literally, literally drowns her. you. Yeah. Ugh, all right. Well, Pray. who would you like to toast this evening? Um, this was hard. So I just, I want to toast women who use their position in life to build their own career for themselves. Yeah. Like owning a boarding house isn't like classy. It was acceptable. Yeah. But it wasn't classy. Mm -hmm. And she used that position as like a stepping stone. Not for shitty things. Yeah. But I'm not toasting her. I'm, I'm toasting women who do things like that. 
So exactly. cheers. Cheers. I want to toast people who just keep going. You know, Leslie just struck me. Like when I was watching her in interviews and stuff, she was such a strong person. Mm. And I just, I kind of love that. Like she was in a relationship with a woman for 33 years. I was like, sure. Cool. I was just like, Oh yeah, I am. Like, I just, you know, didn't really put it out. Like, I don't know. And like, Every time her career was just like looking very bleak, she just kept going. Mm. And I just, I really admire that in her. And uh, I think she's just really fucking cool. And again, like deserves more credit than I think she gets. I agree. Cheers. I am so happy I learned about these women. Yes. Fun. All right. Now, what are you enjoying in pop culture this week? Okay. So I need to, so I don't take a lot of food to work okay i like to eat before work and after work okay i like i might have like a snack or something while i'm teaching but now that i teach in cockiesville <laughs> i'm like right on york road so uh-huh. you know it's like anything i could ever imagine yeah. mm-hmm. so i love stopping in starbucks and getting the fruit and cheese protein box oh that's a good one so good it's mm-hmm. got the brie uh-huh it's got the apples it has grapes it's got some cheddar mm-hmm. it's got some crackers a life changer. When I go and they don't have it, they're like, do you want anything else? And I'm like, no. <laughs> like, fuck you. No, I wanted the fruit and cheese protein box. It's so good. And when I get it with my younger daughter, we split it down the middle in the most perfect way. Because I know how I'm going to eat it. I'm going to eat it alone. Uh-huh. Grape, grape, grapes. Apples, apples, apples. One piece of the white cheddar. All the brie and crackers. Yellow cheddar, white cheddar, yellow cheddar, white cheddar. That's how I eat it. Every time you can't stop me. Yeah. But me and Eliza eat it together separately, uh-huh. like in a different way. And it's very fun. Yeah. So I, just, That's wild. I, I know it's crazy, but I love it so much that like it is, um, there's a Starbucks like very close to where I work. So uh-huh. if I've had like a really bad day, I'm like, I'm going to treat myself. I'm yeah. going to get like a latte mm-hmm. and some cheese. <laughs> and it is the best. I just think. I'm promoting this because I think Starbucks should always have it. I hate yeah. that their food is not every time you go, you have it. <sighs> yeah. It's really upsetting. Yeah. Okay. What do you got? Um, I'm going to promote a show that I watched recently called The After Party. It's on Apple TV Plus, which is annoying because, like, I feel like Forever. Apple TV Plus and, like, Paramount Plus are the two streaming services that are, like, really on the outskirts. You know? <laughs> it's, like, really rare if you have elite watchers of one of them. <laughs> Uh, and really I only got Apple TV for Ted Lasso. Sure. So anyways, but this, so I'm like really trying to use it, you know, but the, so if you have it, the after party is really good. Mm-hmm. It is a whodunit that all takes place on one night. And it's one of those ones where like each episode is a different person's perspective on what happened. And the best part is they each take a different theme. Like the first episode is rom-com theme. So it's filmed like a rom-com. And then the next episode is like a Fast and the Furious kind of thing. So it's like a car chase drama. And like, (laughs) how weird. And then one is animated. Like, it is really a fun show. And it's got comedic greats in it. Like, perfect. It's so fucking good. Really highly recommend it. And there's a season two that we haven't watched yet um, because we're back to Only Murders in the Building season three now. So, but yeah, the first season was really fun i just never it's i love i love like a bottle tv show yeah the whole thing takes place on one night and i fucking love that and 
it takes place at the after party of a high school reunion where it's the class of 2006. So <laughs> my children. Yes. <laughs> and it's so great because like they cut back and like they do a whole episode like at like a high school party in 2006 and you're like this is very real. Uh, this like, feels like something I know. Like there's like a mixtape. <laughs> Shaggy's Angel is <laughs> oh. playing and she goes how did you know this was my favorite song? If that's your favorite song, <laughs> go straight to hell. Also, I was thinking about this this week. So I was like, okay, you have Shaggy releasing Angel and It Wasn't Me. Very close together in my mind. I it's asked like, Jake This how? is why we have trust issues. How? This is outrageous. <laughs> this is why. <laughs> wow. I trust you, Shaggy. Okay. Anyways, um, that was that for that. Perfect. We love you. Follow us everywhere. Join our Patreon. Leave us a rate and review if you could. That would be fantastic. I said last week we have 81. We're down to 80. I don't know how that happened. Somebody deleted a review? Maybe. I hope it was one of the bad ones, not one of the good ones. So we'll see. (laughs) I love a bad review. I show Katie, but I love it. Ruins my life. It's a treat. So anyways, uh, we love you guys. Join us on Patreon. We'll see you next week. And in between, we want you to never forget that well-behaved women don't ever cry when they want to. No, and they rarely make history. <laughs> Goodbye. You've been listening to Her Story on the Rocks. We are independently produced by 1986 Entertainment and proudly recorded in Baltimore, Maryland. If there's a woman in history you would like us to cover, you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com. You can also message us on Twitter or Instagram. We post all of our cocktail recipes on Tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us. See you next week. Bye.